Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. This is a, a weird one because I am, for the first time, which is quite fun, actually recording on location uh, with my interviewee, who is uh, also my boss, so I better be well-behaved in this discussion, <laughs> Z Malunga, who is, of course, uh, the newly appointed group CEO of Arena Holdings. And I'm in his office, and we're just going to be talking about journalism. I've been wanting to do a podcast episode on this broader question of the business model of media. Media is important the world over uh, because without media, we really, our lives are impoverished. And for those of us who are democratic theory nerds, we need journalism in order to be well-informed citizens. And so the business of media is critically important, but there seems to be a business crisis both in South Africa and also internationally. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they share that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Um, Z, thanks so much for making time. I know that you are very busy, and um, I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Sirius. Uh, nice to connect again with you again. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> like, uh, we have come full cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before we start, um, I deliberately didn't want to go into a soundproof booth because I think COVID has taught us that um, when it comes to audio pieces, video people actually like natural sounds around them yeah there's a lot of activity around us every now and then our listeners might hear um some activity does that mean the economy is booming here in parktown what is the construction going on next to your office well uh, there is the landlord of this office that we are in uh, mm. or the building we are in is building another building next door to us okay. and he is expanding clearly so he's seen an opportunity. And it looks like people are coming back to work. I, firstly, before we get into the broader issues about our industry that we both love, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about your own um, history. You're not new, new to this um, company, and this company has had many iterations before. So many of our stakeholders will know you. I mean, you could write a book about this company, in fact. <laughs> so just briefly tell us, what you did before, why you ran away, and now you come back again. <laughs> well, you know, um, just to go a little bit further, I, my, my, my career in media started in 1988 at the Whitley Mail uh, as a trainee. So, um, you know, those guys, uh, Anton Haber, Sean Johnson, Eddie Koch, um, and a few others, all yeah. They were able to yank me out of Eastry Fontaine Gold Mine <laughs> to become a journalist. But I had already done my studies in journalism by, at a place called Union College. Mm -hmm. um, but the year I completed, 
two newspapers shut down, you know, Rand Daily Mail and Sunday Express. Mm. So there were a lot of experiences on the streets, and uh, we, we then, um, I then, a friend of my father then said, "Hey, come to the mines. You know, they just finished. They just um, abolished the Mines and Works Act, which basically um, demarcated certain jobs. You know, all the managerial jobs, official jobs, yeah. on the mines to whites only." And that's the year they scrapped that, and they thought there would be opportunities for people like me who had gone to school. Mm. Um, so I spent 18 months there until uh, I saw I was recruited into, well, I forced my way uh, into a training program at the Weekly Mail. Well, you didn't like the mines very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can write, in fact, I wrote a four part series in the Weekly Mail about my experiences on the mine. It was amazing. Mm. Uh, it was a government within a government. Sure. You know, uh, at the time, even the holidays, some of the holidays didn't matter on the mine. Like uh, New Year's Day was not a holiday on the mine. It was a normal mm. weekend day. So it was just an amazing thing uh, being on the mine. It was a good experience I had, but uh, I truly I wanted to be in media. And you've been in many parts of the company, right? Because you come in, you're right, but you've also transitioned to the commercial side yes. and to the management side as well. I think by the time I started at Business Day with under Peter Bruce, uh, that's where I really had my first regular column even. Yes. Um, by then, you were within the management structures. And then you left the company, played around in production, <laughs> <laughs> and now you're back in this position. Um, what does it feel like being back? Well... It does, it feels exciting, but sometimes also a little bit weird in the sense that when I left the first time, I had not bargained that I would be back here. Sure. <laughs> and funny enough, ironically, is that when I left in 2012, 10 years, yeah. <laughs> I was one of the two people who were lead candidates to become the group CEO then. Yeah. Um, but it didn't work out. You know, and that process was was stopped. Mm. You know, because there was corporate action, so there were new shareholders coming in, and then people felt that you know, let's stop it. And then the new shareholders had other ideas. So part of the reason I left in in, in the first, but and then well, I went to yeah. production, got exposed to other more exciting things, creating content for tele on a different platform for televisions, yeah, and stuff like. That's exactly what I was going to say, is that I suppose the unintended advantage of leaving and then coming back, um, you know, if, even if it wasn't intentional, that 10 years later, you'll now be back and you can actually sell a vision to the owners and then be allowed to enact it, is that your experiences in the meantime mean that you're a different person than if you had been group CEO 10 years ago, because now you've dabbled with your own company, you understand what that's like, and also you've run a different company, and so those experiences cumulatively um, will, you know, enable you to have a go at redirecting Arena from its previous instantiations. Yeah, I say, I mean, you know, uh, I know you're not very spiritual, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> or oh, not very religious, but people, some of us were raised uh, from people who call it who's either spiritual or religious uh, you would tell you that uh, everything happens on time. Sure. And not God is never late. So so, so in this situation, I think mm. probably I would have been the group CEO then or probably make lots of mistakes. Mm. But now I've got the benefit of hindsight, mm. having worked outside, elsewhere, 
it's quite exciting to be back here because I realized there's familiarity. Some of the stuff that I started 10 years ago is still there and hanging. I mean, for instance, we started something called BD Life, which was a concept I actually developed uh, with my team at BDFM, then SMD of BDFM. And I see that uh, makings of it are still, are still there. Mm. Things like Home Channel, Ignition, those are stuff that started yeah. under my watch previously. And so now my job has just, it's just like maybe my old mm. job then expanded uh, sure. a little bit more. So, so, and I think the business is ready now to revisit some of the arguments we were having 10 years ago <laughs> because <laughs> at that time it was still early on in terms of how the business models of the future would look like. And there were traditionalists, you know, print guys who were saying, you have sold out, you know, you should be talking about how do we defend print and stuff like that. So I was talking about this digital thing that people didn't understand and my team was had caught on to it, we had been to the FT, we had been to the Wall Street Journal, we were excited, the mood was electric. Mm. And probably would have had, would be having more traction now had we started then. Mm. But uh, it didn't happen. Mm. And that process was stopped. Maybe we would have also made mistakes. Lots sure, of mistakes. yeah. So right now, maybe the business is ready, mm. you know, in its totality to say, okay, no, I mean, the models have to change. Yeah. And and at the time, we were called weird. <laughs> well, we're going to come back to digital in a second because it's, it's an important part of what I wanted to discuss. I wanted to talk about our industry in general and really yeah. whether it's South Africa or global, there are similar kinds of challenges that we face. So I really have about four or five questions, and we'll just shoot the breeze around them. The first is, when it comes to newspapers, and I know that's only one segment of Arena Holdings yes. as a holding company, is there still value in newspapers? Well, economically. <laughs> well, economically, you can, there's still value. Um, and all platforms, you know, in fact, I don't call them newspapers. I call them, is a newspaper platform? And there will be a digital platform, a radio platform, and other platforms as well, social media, and so on and so forth. So, all prof- we're living in an era of multiple platforms, mm. the, of coexistence of platforms. What matters is what you put on the platform. I think um, the future newspaper will be uh, 20% about yesterday, 30% about today, and 50% about tomorrow. Such a newspaper does not exist currently anywhere else in the world, but some newspapers are moving there. So we need a different type of content producer or journalist going forward to say more connected in society. But the the advantage of the digital era is that that is possible now because then you can then, journalists that are going to be closer to their publics, not followers on Twitter, but uh, publics generally, the people who consume the product, The people who follow them, their circle, if they broaden their circles and improve their social capital, we can then produce newspapers similar to the one. But then where do you, where do you get the value from? Because the circulation figures for, for, for newspapers, the hard copy is, is gone. It's rare these days to even find a newspaper editor posting a picture with a hard copy of his own, <laughs> his own <laughs> newspaper on social media because we're all online. But the problem with online is that we committed as an industry the original sin that you and I spoke about earlier um, before the recording, which is giving away content for free. 
Yeah. So how do we how do we salvage the situation? Because some people say the business model is broken. We need to close the loop. We've got the two components that are important in the content of newspaper platform of the future. One is the content. We are able to create content. The big guys that uh, have come and eaten our lunch mm. or are eating our lunch now, your Googles, or that, none of them create content. Mm. So we have something that they don't have. We can create, we can aggregate, which is what they are doing, um, and then we can disseminate. But what we had not done historically is to be closer to our audience, understand. We we spend too much time under this stuff called the amorphous stuff, I call it. Yeah. Uh, called LSMs. And, and we were comfortable in that thing. And they came in and created models that can understand the individual. Mm. And they are able to then go to an advertiser and monetize easier to say, I've got 10,000 mm. people that drive Mercedes Benz mm. at Suburb X. Yes. And they work here. This is what the content they they, they they consume and supplement. We need to get there. It will take, we are behind the curve, mm-hmm. but it will take some time. We need to get there. When we get there, we will be much better than they do. We will probably be able to grow faster than they are growing now because they are plateauing. You can see whether it's Twitter or Facebook. You see, you see as someone who works in media, I want that argument to, to stick. Yeah. Otherwise, I won't have a job and income. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to stick. Yeah. And I think it, it completely makes sense. Yeah. But part of my job in media is, of course, to, to, to ask devil's advocates questions as, as an interviewer. Yeah. I don't look at the numbers closely. That's your job and our other colleagues who sit with you in leadership. But I wonder how successful we are going to be and can be at competing with free content that is user-generated. So, for example, let's take a concrete example. Let's say the Zondo Commission reports. Yeah. The next ones are coming out on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, ordinarily, most people who care about insight would have to wait for the Mail and Guardian on Friday, the Sunday Times, the Financial Mail um, report, and hope that a really good thinker gives them a nice 1,200-word complete mini-essay. Mm. Now you can come along and Henny van Fieren yeah. and his staff can say, join me this evening on Twitter Spaces. And in 90 minutes while you're making your cooking dinner at home, you can be listening right now to experts, some of them as good and many of them subject experts that the average journalist might not be. Mm. And they can, for free, as it were, I mean, obviously there's data costs involved, yes, yes. inform me about what's in volumes five and six. So why must I go and buy... Eusebius's essay on Sunday? Well, I'll tell you why. Because, as I said, we are living in multiple platforms era. The newspaper remains the most trusted. You know, you know when, uh, or the traditional media, mm. you won't hear somebody tell you that they had you on Twitter spaces. But if they see you on television, even for three seconds, your aunt is going to call you. <laughs> <laughs> to say, I saw you on television. So there mm. is still, I mean, the new platforms are wonderful. We should embrace them. We should see how we work with them and stuff. We use them to advance even our yeah. own models. But the old platforms are much more powerful from a trustworthy point of view because mm. even the people that are digital natives, if it is in the Sunday Times, if the Maiden Guardian or it appears on television, in traditional television or or on radio and stuff like that, 
they are likely to be it's likely to be more believable mm. than a Twitter space thing. They say, yeah, it was interesting, it was interesting, but then let's hear what the guys that we trust sure. and expect to become experts on this thing say. Mm. That's where the role is. So it's coexistence. It's not going to be Twitter spaces important, a good innovation from Twitter. But of course, they saw what the, the likes of Clubhouse were doing, and so they know that audio is very growing. Absolutely. That's why we are talking here because yeah. you are also in the audio space. Uh, yeah, it's audio journalism. Audio. Just like yeah. you, you don't talk about newspapers yeah. anymore. When you talk yeah. about platforms, yeah. I don't even talk about radio anymore. It's all about audio. It's, it's audio. So audio is actually one of the fastest growing uh, mediums across the world, uh, um, rivaled only by audio visual. <laughs> yes, but I will tell you that there are still newspapers. In Brazil, in India, in Africa, that have found the model how to to co-create with their audience, yeah, and they are still growing. But so that is very interesting because in the it sounds like a, yeah. a thing. And what we need to do, what other newspapers or newspaper companies like ours, uh, well, we are not only just that; we are also we have a big business, entertainment business, which we also want to bring to the fore to say, hey, actually, we don't produce only newspapers, we produce other things. What they sh- what we should be doing is to see how those models work. You know, there are some newspapers <laughs> that are thriving across the world. There's a newspaper called Global in Brazil. Well, I was gonna, that is very I was going to ask you about, about that. I mean, we, we've only got about five, seven minutes yeah. left before your brilliant PA is going to kick me out. <laughs> um, is how do we monetize it, right? Because so we've got trust. Yeah, that's something that new media don't immediately have. Yeah. So we've got um, that advantage, incumbency advantage from a trust point of view. Yeah. So that that's fantastic. We still have great writers, producers for our audio and TV products in the stable, and many of our competitors have the same. But then the the big question is, ka-ching, you got to convert that into 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 cash. People don't like paying for subscriptions. I mean, I get so pissed off, Mzee, with, with friends of mine <laughs> who get paid probably two, three times what I get paid annually. They can afford it, but the culture of non-payment as a result of us making the original sin of giving content away for free to Google is so entrenched that when something is locked behind that little padlock online, yeah. they, they would ask a friend, please can you screen grab your copy and send it to me. Some would even have the audacity of going to the author and saying, can you please forward me the, the, and, my, the uh, as you had sent it yeah, to the editor. Yeah. I'm like, you're kidding me. And some others, you are some, senior some, counsel. Some others do it. <laughs> but, so how do we solve that? Because that's but, a big problem, right? But but I think it is making it convenient. You know what I realized that what we've realized, most of the people pay for convenience. That's true. Um, if it's relevant, it's convenient and trustworthy. Believe you me, Pay, they'll pay for it. What we have not done is to make it convenient. The content might be relevant, trust you, trustworthy, then that creates value. We have to build more of that kind of content that builds value and be convenient. What we have not done is the payment models, you know, we've got only one payment model, entrance, you know, subscribe for 12 months and stuff like that. We keep on keeping different prices within that model. Five rand today, ten rand tomorrow, twenty rand tomorrow. Uh, but this continent is different in sure. terms of how people consume content, appreciate content, and and even anything. You know, it's on the go most of the time. But we need we are not bringing those models That's to the true. Floor. Second last question: A company like Arena, like a little bit like Naspers and many others, but 
one or two smaller companies in the country don't have the same advantage, have got an incredible range of products under its umbrella. Yeah. Is that diversification crucial to being able to make returns on investment for the owners and for the shareholders in media companies? Because as much as I agree with you that content is queen and people will still pay for trustworthy sources and for great content, you're just yeah. going to be more compelling about why they should pay and make it convenient, that um, you need to be able to have multiple streams of income from eventing to all sorts of other sources under your umbrella. Yeah, I mean, actually, I will say something controversial now because I think I'm happy that the people who we compete with have gone with singular brands, you know, in this thing. I think they have basically uh, closed the the door to multiple mm-hmm. uh, opportunities for monetization. So I'm happy that. So ours is that the brands are going to leave. You know, we are not going to have Arena 20 something, sure. 27 or something like that. No, we're not going to do that. We will, Our brands are going to leave and they're going to leave on all platforms and our content is going to be made. Yeah. And we are working on that. That is that is the model going forward. And there are various ways of skinning this cat. I won't go into some of the details about that what we're doing because it's a com- competitive landscape. But our approach is that Single single platform at the back, you single back end, but at the same time, the brands must leave. Because yeah. you, if you are a business day consumer, must come through business day. Sure. You can yeah. still end up, you know, people don't know, of course, many people who consume YouTube and search on Google, they don't know that this one, the back end is integrated. Same, yeah. <laughs> so the last question so is... the music just, yeah. is on the same thing same as the text. <laughs> the last question just pulls together our entire discussion. In a sense, you've implicitly answered it, but but I want to ask it more directly. Since I was a lighty in this industry, we sloganeered. I'm sure even when you went to Dublin in 2002, it was the same thing. Digital first, digital integrated. (laughs) And a variation on that, you almost said verbatim just now, you know, platform agnostic. It is all about content. Truthfully, though, how hard is it and our colleagues might be scared of how you will answer this one. How hard is it to get especially senior journalists to become multi-skilled and to accept that you are platform agnostic? You no longer work for the Sunday Times. Yes. You no longer work for BDTV. Yeah. You are employed for your contribution towards content. We, we know that as a slogan when we go to conferences, yes. but, but it doesn't seem to be how media companies are actually running from a culture point of view. Yes, I think the, the we need more 21st century type editors, you know. Uh, and I think our editors are getting there slowly <laughs> with a bit of nudging here and there because historically, you know, if you're editor of Business Day, you want to have your own stuff. You know, you put your hands and arms around that. You say, this is my territory, don't come in. I, you know, and Sunday time, same thing. Or if you are even other, 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 other products, you know. Uh, um, so, but now, you know, we are saying a lot of more, a lot more edit- editors. I'm, I'm, I'm quite encouraged by the fact that a lot more editors now are willing to actually, you know, there are new guys now who are champions, you know, especially the new type editors who would have been just before the digital natives <laughs> and they're beginning to get this thing and yeah. they are saying, look, actually, we are in, this, in the content space. Mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not, you know, but we can produce that content at a particular brand at any given time, but 
we produce content. Yeah. And yeah. if we produce good content... You find the place yeah. where the consumer lives. That's the thing. You see, yeah. we just you can't be romantic consumer. about where you wish they'd no. lived. Yeah, well, I mean, historically we wrote for our friends, you know, <laughs> because our cycles, you know, somebody complains to me at a lunch uh, meeting and this is not happening. I said, ah, that's a big story, you know. Only to find that maybe there are three or four people interested in that. But no, but that, what also I mean, not just from a content point of view, just to round off yeah. this little exchange, is someone was saying to me at a at a party the other day, Oh, do you must be you must be on radio or like when is your next book coming out? Now now I do have a love for each of those two yeah. media. But I said to them, Guys, but you but you know what? I am working on my next manuscript. However, yeah. if I do ten podcasts with 10 different aspects of racism, yes. I will probably reach more people than the number of people who will buy my book of essays as a bundle of essays in one book yes. because we've got a small book market. So you've got to be savvy and understand how do you reach the eyes and the ears that you are wanting to have a conversation with. And the traditional way of reaching them might give you Satisfaction. Satisfaction. (laughs) Yeah, my friends have seen it. Yeah, but but it may not be where they're actually living now. Some people may prefer, and I experimented with this recently last week for Dance Life. I wrote an article for Pride Month. Yeah. But I've also done a podcast where I've simply read my article, which is what some essayists now do for The New Yorker. And there's some people will want to listen rather than read. Some will want to read rather than listen. We've got to give them where they want it. Some, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm that kind of person. I get to process information quicker when I listen to it than when I read. If I sometimes when I'm tired, I can listen. I will store all that information. But if I read, I'll probably have to repeat a paragraph or two twice and stuff like that. So listening, I mean, that's why, that's the good thing about the era we're living in. The opportunities are endless because the proliferation of platforms make it easier for us who are are content creators to have that content Mm -hmm. live across platforms. But it's just that we are behind the curve. So we have, you know, there's a lot of nervousness and people are... Because the the when change comes, of course, it drafts up people generally. So the old models, people are there are still people who are still hoping that the old models come back. Uh, you know, we will not lose them completely, but we need to embrace the new era. Z, thanks for the interview. I can now leave the headmaster's office. <laughs> Thank you very much, Julius. <laughs> uh, good to see you again. Thank you. Thanks.